Isn't it good to be in the house of the Lord today to worship our King Jesus? Hey, <clears throat> thank you, Pastor Chris, for your leadership and, and all that you do to prepare us for worship each week and, and, uh, and set us out on a good course. Listen, um, today, I'm, I'm excited about today. Today, I, I hope, is, is, is going to be somewhat of a, uh, a break of pace of what we have been doing over the last few weeks, um, but it's strategic and it is purposeful. And so over the next few weeks, Pastor John um, is going to be continuing in the series from 1 Timothy. Um, and he'll continue to study there. Next week, we'll be in 1 Timothy chapter 3, where we'll dive into the way God has decreed uh, the church to function, the way he's instructed us to, to build up the church and, to, and, to, and, and how it will function. Specifically, um, the way, uh, specifically next week, how Christ has gifted the church um, with called and qualified elders to lead his church. In the New Testament, the elders are often called shepherds. However, before we get into this particular subject, we thought it might be helpful for us to, to take a week um, to specifically and intentionally set our eyes on the, what Scripture calls, the New Testament calls, the archai poemain. Poimen is shepherd in Greek. The archipoimen means he is the chief shepherd. He is above all things. And so the chief shepherd, the one and two, just by word of application, just right off the bat, one of the ways that God has cared for his sheep, us, right, cared for his church, one of the ways he's chosen to do that is to care for his sheep is by entrusting to the church, under shepherds, elders, pastors. Elders have been entrusted by God to love, feed, and to care for his sheep, to offer protection and guidance. Under his authority, they are called to, to lead the church. However, this morning, I want you to see Jesus Christ, the true and better shepherd of the church, the true head of the church, the foundation on which everything else is built. Everything else that we do, we structure ourselves, we, we motivate ourselves for ministry and we're called to ministry and we go to ministry. Everything else sits under our understanding of the great shepherd. So this morning, if you have your Bibles, I ask you to open them to Psalm 23. Psalm 23, and anybody with any sort of background in the Bible has probably at some point or another read this psalm or heard this psalm. It's probably brought comfort in the time of, of, of loss, of life, and in your family, maybe a particular trial or difficult season of your life. Whatever it may be, I hope this morning that you find comfort in seeing and beholding the great shepherd. You know, there are a lot of sermons that we leave with, here are some things that we should possibly do. Here are some things that, that, that we should probably be thinking about, directives. 
and obedience. And, 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 and I think there is some of that here. But the main intent of this passage, the main intent of this sermon is not to give you a list of things, but it's to get you to behold the wonder that is Jesus Christ. To set your eyes upon Jesus Christ and to understand that he is the loving shepherd and he cares for you. Psalm 23. I'm going to read the passage and I'm going to work my way through it. Psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. God, our Father, I pray, God, that you would give us strength right now. That you would give us a spirit of understanding which we can't understand on our own. Give us eyes to see what we cannot see on our own. Give us ears to hear what we cannot hear on our own. Give us a, a heart and a mind that's, that's soft that we can't do on our own, which, Father, you can. And so, God, I pray right now that you might increase, I might decrease. Help me in my inadequacies where illustrations are lacking, where application is lacking. Father, I pray that you would speak through your word. Give us grace. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. First thing I want you to understand about this psalm, and as you may know, as you have maybe encountered this psalm before in your life, maybe through, a, like I said, maybe a, a death of a family member. I can remember the first time I ever heard this passage. I can audibly remember it was actually in the funeral of a close friend when I was much younger. Um... When I was in fifth grade, my best friend was killed. And I can remember in his funeral this passage being read as a fifth grader. And it's, it's stuck with me. And maybe you can have a similar story. Maybe you have a similar story of a, maybe not a particular death, but maybe a particular season, like I said earlier. And this psalm is very personal. Very personal. There is no we or us or they, but only me. And my, and I, and he, and you. It is an overflow of David's personal experience with God. One of the reasons it has such an attraction for us is that we all hunger for this authentic experience with God. And, and a personal witness to that experience brings us a step closer to um, ourselves. So, so in the spirit of the psalm, I thought it would just be helpful for us to walk through this psalm and, and to point out a few things that have proved to be of great significance in my own Christian life and, and probably some of yours as well. And I like 
what Jonathan Edwards said about the Psalms. He said that God has given us the Psalms in order to teach us about Christ. And I think that's true. You see, David was not only a king. He was a prophet. His life and his writings, they, they pointed forward to the coming Messiah. David spoke of Christ in his opening words of Psalm 22, just the chapter before, the first verse. We see where in Psalm 22, he foretold us Jesus' words on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He also speaks for Christ in Psalm 23 when he says, The Lord is my shepherd. Like David, Christ was both a sheep and a shepherd. We cannot miss the fact that God did carry Jesus through the valley of the shadow of death. He did take him through death, and yet Jesus trusted his father. Trusted his father with his life, and God restored his life in the resurrection. Christ rose again on the third day and was exalted to the right hand of the Father where he lives in the house of the Lord forever and ever. Psalm 23 is a summary of the life, death, resurrection, and exaltation of Christ. And this psalm is about Christ. This psalm is written for his sheep. Hint, that's, that's you and I. That's us. It's written for you and for your joy and for your comfort. Those who are resting in the finished work of Christ. If that is you, this psalm is for you. However, many people have taken false comfort in Psalm 23. They want to believe that God is their shepherd, but they do not listen to Christ or follow him. None of God's blessings come to us except through Jesus Christ. Don't miss this. None of God's blessings come ex except through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Christ is the great shepherd of God's people. If you do not belong to Jesus, he is not your shepherd. Listen, and if he's not your shepherd, you do not belong to Jesus, I'm pleading with you today. God is showing you great mercy by allowing you to continue to, to pander in your own self-reliance or to, to, to wander around in your own righteousness. That's just as filthy rags. If you do not belong to Jesus, he is not your shepherd. But if you know Jesus, trust and rest in him. Psalm 23 is for you. So let's dive in. Notice how it begins. The Lord is my shepherd. See, a shepherd's work was, was considered the, the lowest of all work. A shepherd would actually live with his sheep 24 hours a day with unwavering devotion. Day and night, no matter how bad the weather would have been, they would have been there side by side with their sheep, nurturing, protecting, guiding, feeding. The sheep would assume, or the shepherd would assume full responsibility of the need and the safety of his flock, even risking his own life 
for their protection. And this is what God has chosen to be for his people. He is there. He is their everything. Their constant protector. David had a deep grasp of this reality. And that's why he says the Lord is my shepherd. Very personal. This is not some... He's not talking to some transcendent being that he has no idea who, it, who, who, who he might be. He's saying the Lord is my shepherd. It's very personal. And what was the result of seeing God as his shepherd? His shepherd who cared for him and provided for him. David says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. God loves us so much that he chose to be our shepherd. And he is a good shepherd. And when we read, I shall not want, it does not mean there is no desire for God. Verse 1 says, when he says, I shall not want, some people think that means that God gives us everything we could ever desire or ever want. But the idea is not that God gives us everything we ask for. Rather, that he cares for us by giving us everything that we could ever need. Sheep are helpless animals. Left to themselves, they, they lack everything. A good shepherd knows what they need. If the God of the universe is your shepherd, you will lack nothing. That's literally what this means, that you are not going to be lacking in anything. This is the central theme of this, of this psalm, and it permeates through the rest of the psalm. If you are under the shepherd's care, then you will never be lacking. And here's the best news of it all. Here, here's the best news of this entire passage. Your shepherd's provision, and listen to me, is not based on your ability, but by his grace. It's his grace, not your ability. I, I just love verses 2 and 3. Look, look at it. Listen to it. He makes, he makes me lie down in green pasture. He leads me beside still water. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. He's doing it all. He, he's doing the work here. And how does our good shepherd provide for us? Well, David paints a picture of abundant life. And there are six truths that I want to draw out of this, this passage. And I'm going, to, I'm going to run through them as quickly as I can. But six truths, beginning with the, with the first right here. And that is that the good shepherd provides true rest for you. The good shepherd provides true rest for you. And this is because, look at verse 2. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Philip Keller, a pastor and author who for eight years in his own life was a shepherd. And out of that experience, he wrote a book called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. And his book sheds some really good light on the context of this passage. And he says, sheep do not lie down easily. In fact, he says, it's almost impossible for them to be made to lie down unless four requirements are made. Owing to their 
timidity to refuse to lie down unless they are free of all fear because of their social behavior within a flock uh, sheep will not lie down unless they are free from friction with others of their kind if tormented by flies or parasites sheep will not lie down only when free of these pests can they relax lastly sheep will not lie down as long as they feel in need of finding food, they must be free from hunger. Fear, friction, flies, and famine. Sheep must be free from, from each of these to be content. And as, a, as, a, as Keller notes, only the shepherd can provide trust and peace and deliverance and the pasture needed for, to, to free the sheep from this burden. And it isn't interesting, at least I find it interesting, that this passage begins this way. If we're being honest with ourselves in times of distress, in times of worry, in times of anguish, is our normal tendency to, to rest? What's our normal tendency when we are distressed? It's to work, right? It's to, to, to be motivated. It's, to, it's, to, it's to, to be in motion, to be in action, to, to do something. But amazingly, it begins with rest. It, listen, it, this is a reminder that the Christian life begins with resting in Christ. Along the way, there, there will be time to do many things, to busy ourselves doing, doing lots of things. But we begin by resting in him who has done everything for us. Everything. So I ask, are you resting in Christ today? Are you resting in your own works? Are you resting in some prayer that you prayed? Or the fact that you were baptized are you resting in something that you have done? Are you resting in your perfect Sunday school attendance? Are you resting in the fact that you're sitting here right now? What are you resting in? Anything other than the person and work and the finished work of Christ on the cross will do you no harm. I mean, will, will do you great harm, excuse me. Will do you great harm. Are you resting in Christ? Have you found Jesus to be the perfect provider of all your many needs? Namely salvation and every other need that you need in your life. Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. He also declared, I am the bread of life. Who, who, he who comes to me will never go hungry. And he who believes in me will never be thirsty. John 6, 35. Before he was crucified, he told his disciples, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give, you, I do not give to you as the world gives do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid, John 14, 27. But not only does 
your shepherd bring rest. The good shepherd provides restoration that you need. The good shepherd provides the restoration that you need. Look at verse 3. Know that the Lord on high has taken responsibility in refreshing your soul. And this is astounding. By his grace, he restores you. He restores my soul. Your shepherd, brother or sister, your shepherd delights in taking that which is broken and restoring it. That's the work that our God is a part of. He is a God of restoration. He refreshes you. He restores you. And by his grace, he makes you righteousness. Look what it says. He leads me in paths of righteousness. He enables me to walk in righteousness through the middle of it all. He, he, he does this. He does all of this. Your shepherd's provision is based on his grace and not your ability. Which leads us to the next truth. He brings us rests and restores us and sanctifies us for one purpose. Look at the second half of verse 3. The good shepherd offers you his grace for the sake of his glory. The good shepherd offers you his grace for the sake of his glory. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his, what? For his namesake. I, I love this. Now, some might begin to wonder about this, maybe even balk at the thought of this. And some might say, you mean, you mean God leads me beside still waters? He, he, uh, he makes me lie down in green pastures for himself? You mean to say that, that God has an ulterior motive in guiding me? That, that what he's doing in my, in my life in difficulty, he's actually doing for himself? For his own name? That I'm not the ultimate thing, the ultimate thing that's, that I'm not the ultimate in this whole situation, this whole thing? That I'm not the, the center in this thing. He's, he's actually doing all of this for himself. Is, is that a good thing? Brothers and sisters. Friends, this is, an, this is absolutely a good thing. This is a wonderful thing. Don't, don't miss this. What this text is showing us. Our God has bound up his glory and his honor and his reputation and his name in faithfully providing for you in the midst of difficulty. He is love. His name is love. Therefore, when you walk through difficulty, he is going to show himself as love. It's going to be clear that he is loving in the way that he provides for you. Listen, when you walk through difficulty, he is Jehovah Jireh. He is going to show himself as your provider every step of the way. 
He is Jehovah Shalom. And he is going to show himself as your peace every step of the way. He is Jehovah Sidkenu. And he is going to show himself as your righteousness every step of the way. God is going to show himself strong on behalf of his people when they walk through difficult times. And it's going to be clear that he is great in the way he provides for you. And that's really good news. To know that God is committed to our good as he is to his own name. He's going to exalt his name in the way he provides for you. God gives grace. God gets glory. And we experience good. This is the way it works. That, that, makes, him, that makes him leading us and guiding us for his name's sake. Wonderful news for us. Wonderful news. Fourth truth. The good shepherd sustains you with protection and comfort in the midst of your trials. The good shepherd sustains you with protection and comfort in the midst of your trials. And there's a shift in verse 4. See if you can... See if you can notice it with me. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. It's a bold statement. No evil. None. I, I will fear nothing. Even when it comes to death. For, and, and here's the shift, okay? For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You notice the shift there? David has been talking about God in the third person this whole time. The Lord is my shepherd. He leads me. He guides me. He, he does these things. Third person. And then you get to verse 4. And he doesn't say, I will fear no evil for he is with me. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. Instead, he switches to the second person pronoun and he says, you are with me. Your rod and your staff. And this talking about God, notice this, turns to crying out to God. And this makes sense, doesn't it? When in green pastures and beside still waters, to, to walk about the, to, to, to talk about the goodness and the grace of God is one thing. But when we find ourselves in the midst of deep darkness, in the midst of our pains and suffering and, and hurting in this life, as we walk through the valley, the shadow of death, when we walk through deep and difficult times, instead of talking about God, it makes a lot more sense in this situation that we might cry out to God. You are with me. Your rod, your staff, they are protection, provision, and comfort for me. Because your shepherd gives you everything. Listen, he gives you everything, even in the midst of the valley of the shadow of death. And you have nothing to fear. 
And here's a, here's a truth that I don't want you to miss. God is not going to protect you from everything that could ever happen to you in this world. But rather, he's going to use those things in your life. Just look at Job. He's going to use those things in your life to drive you to him. To, to, to draw you to him. To, to conform you more and more into the person and work of Jesus Christ. To sanctify you. But that's not all. There's a fifth truth. The good shepherd is a gracious host that brings you satisfaction. The good shepherd is a gracious host that brings you satisfaction. Look at verse 5. Notice how David shifts the metaphors from the shepherd flock motif to the, to the host imagery. As, as a gracious host would attend to the needs of his guests, so David said to God, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Though surrounded by many enemies you sought, who sought to harm me, David recognized that God was with him for his good, supplying his needs as a host would care for a guest. Again, the same central theme of the psalm is reinforced. Even under the most adverse circumstances, in the face of threatening enemies, David would lack nothing. Then David adds, you anoint my head with oil. You see, it was a custom of a loving host to provide oil for the head of his guest who's been traveling, right? If you're traveling, how many of you have been to, to Israel? Was it, was, it, was it nice? Was it beautiful weather? Was it hot? Was it dusty and dirty? And you think after you travel a long time, do you think you'd smell like roses? No. This oil was there as a gracious host to offer it to them as a way, as, as a perfume, as a, as a way to refresh them. And here, David is speaking of the Lord's ministry to revive his hearts, especially when surrounded by enemies who threaten him. The presence of God invigorated him, renewing him of all the demands of life. And further, David testified, my cup overflows, referring to the constant supply of drink provided by an attentive host. His cup was always more than filled to the brim, overflowing with most satisfying drink imaginable. And I think everybody knows what this is like. You go to a restaurant and what makes a, what separates a good waitress or, or waiter from, from, a, from a, I won't say bad one, uh, I won't use that strong a language, but from a, not as good as somebody who would do this, they don't let your drink go empty. Right? They, they keep it filled to the brim. They, they, keep, they keep a constant um, f flow of whatever it is you're drinking. I remember my, my brother-in-law used to say, I want a Diet Coke every two minutes till I pass out. And he would tell that to the, uh, to the, to the, to the waiter uh, to, 
just reinforce this idea. Just keep it coming. This pictures the abundant supply of divine grace in God's life, which was more than sufficient to strengthen and sustain him in the most dangerous circumstances. God is an infinite source of all that believers need to live victoriously in difficult situations. God is the source. God is the source. The psalmist said, He keeps him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever for the Lord your God is an everlasting rock. And I think I said the psalmist. That was actually Isaiah. Prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 26, I believe. He keeps him in perfect peace. His mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. God is our source of comfort. God is our source of joy. And he will bring us satisfaction. But that's not the only thing he brings. The good shepherd will never stop pursuing you with his love. Verse 6. The, the good shepherd will never stop pursuing you with his love. And he says here, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Yes, this is never going to stop. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. His goodness to you is eternal. For, for all of eternity, his pursuit of you will continue. His presence with you will continue. Praise God. But how do we know this? How can we know how can we know that to be sure? How, how do we know that there's not going to come a point where his pursuit for us stops? How do we know and how, how is it possible that we could say a sinner? How is it possible that, that I, a sinner, you, a sinner, filled with rebellion and wickedness towards your shepherd, constantly running from our shepherd, how is it possible to say that you and I can know we're going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. How, how is it possible that we can know that, 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 and that we could say with absolute confidence that surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life? How can we know that? Well, I'm so glad that you asked. Two places I want to show you in the New Testament. First, John chapter 10. Turn with me there. John chapter 10. John chapter 10. We're going to begin in, in verse 11. Is, is where we're going to start. But John 10, 11. You know that, that while you're turning there, the background in John, uh, I think this will be helpful. Jesus in the book of John is intentional at strategic times to identify himself with Yahweh of the Old Testament. Yahweh, I am, the, the name of God. Therefore, all throughout the book of John, we see Jesus using these words. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way and the truth and the life. John 8, 5, uh, John 8 uh, 58, before Abraham was born, I am. I am. He's identifying himself intentionally with 
Yahweh in the Old Testament. The Lord in the Old Testament. He, he's showing that he is the Lord. And John 10, John chapter 10, verse 11, brings Psalm 23 to life. I am, Jesus says, the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for his sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me, I know the father. And I lay down my life for his sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the father loves me. Because I lay my life, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. How is it possible for you and I to know that our experience with the Lord, our shepherd, will never end? Us, sinners, wickedness throughout us. How can we know we are going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever? Did, did you see the answer? It's mentioned five times in what we just read. Verse 11, the good shepherd lays down his life. Verse 15, I lay down my life for the sheep. Verse 17, I lay down my life. Verse 18, no one takes it from me. I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. The only way that you and I, in our sin, can know that we will, will, will be with the Lord our shepherd for all of eternity is because the Lord our shepherd sent his son to lay down his life for our sins. That's the only way we know. That's the only way we can know we have confidence. That's why he came. The cross was not plan B. The father's not saying, oh, I don't know what's happening here to my son. Look at, at what they're, they're doing to my son. No, this is the very reason he sent his son. To, to lay down his life and praise God. His son has authority to pick it right back up again. <laughs> The only way you and I can know that we will live forever with our shepherd, even in our sin and in our death, how can you know you're going to live forever? It's because Christ has laid down his life on our behalf. He has reconciled us to the Father through his death on the cross for our sins. He has risen from the grave in power over sin and death so that even though we die, we will live. We will live because our Savior, our shepherd, has laid down his life and picked it right back up again. That's how we know his goodness 
to us will be eternal. Trust in Jesus as your shepherd. Friend, if you're not here and you're not trusting and resting in Christ alone, this is your call. This is your time to do so. Repent of your sins. It means to turn from your self-perceived righteousness where you think you have it figured out, but you don't. And turn and trust in God alone. Then in another passage, Revelation chapter 7. Last book in the Bible. Revelation 7. Jesus said, and we'll begin in verse 15. Jesus said, Revelation 7 verse 15. Jesus said, in John 10, I have other sheep, not of this fold. And he's talking about how he is still gathering sheep to himself. And Revelation 7 is the day... The time when we see the sheep are gathered from every tribe, every language, every tongue, every people, every nation. They're, they're gathering together. And listen to what Revelation 7, 15 and following says. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them from his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scourging heat. For the lamb, listen, the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their, what? Their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Brother and sister, if you're walking through difficult times, this is the hope that you have. No matter how difficult it gets, no matter how dark it gets, no matter how deep the despair, you can know this. There is coming a day when you will see your shepherd's face. He will personally wipe away every tear from your eyes. We have nothing to fear. We have nothing to fear when that's our destination. <laughs> when that's the end. When that's what's awaiting us after this life. It's guaranteed. His goodness to you is eternal. And your fellowship with him will be everlasting. For all of eternity, you will feast at his table and experience his pastures, walking beside still waters in complete righteousness before the Lord, your shepherd. And he, listen, he will get great glory in it all. There's no wonder this psalm has meant so much to so many people throughout all the generations. 
It brings so much hope. It brings so much comfort, so much joy. And our aim today was to help you gaze and behold your shepherd. If you are in Christ, you are his sheep. And he cares for you. He loves you. He provides and he will always provide. And all we like sheep have gone astray, each to his all way, right? What's the, the old hymn? Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Take my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Your shepherd is pursuing you. He's pursuing you to, to make you more and more into the image of his son. To give you rest, to give you restoration, to give you healing, to, to, to help you to walk in this life without fear of abandonment and lostness. And he's going to provide a banquet, a table for you that's going to be immeasurably great. So this morning, rest in the finished work of Christ. Let's pray.